Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we begin, as always, Olivia, it's wonderful to see you. How are you doing on this late Wednesday evening? Are you hanging in there with me? I could use a cup of coffee or two, but unlike you, I would not sleep for days and days if I drank coffee right now. Well, I am a sociopath. I can drink an entire pot of coffee and then go directly to bed and sleep like a baby. So it's a superpower. Not everybody has it, but I don't know. Maybe we need to get up, do some jumping jacks. It's late and we're all feeling run down, but I am super happy that we're here and that we're getting to record these episodes and and getting a new case out there. And this week is your week. And again, this is another case that I have not heard of. So I'm super excited to kind of jump into it and just see what it's all about. So I don't know. What do you say? Should we just go ahead and hop in? Yeah, and this week we're going over to Arizona. The Sunshine State. No, that's Florida. I'm just being silly. Like, is it? I feel like it's more deserty. Yeah, I don't know. I know it's a state where like a lot of stuff melts when it gets hot. That's what I know. So if anybody knows the official motto, uh, reach out to us and let us know. (laughs) All right, well, let's hear it. It was a warm July evening in 2008 around Prescott, Arizona. Carol Kennedy was just finishing a jog around 7 p.m. on the trail behind her house close to Granite Mountain. She called her mother, Ruth, to catch up. Ruth, who was thousands of miles away in Nashville, recalled the terrifying phone call that ended with, Oh no, and a disconnected phone line. Carol's mother frantically began calling Steve, Carol's ex-husband, but no answer. She called the couple's two daughters, Katie and Charlotte, but no one was able to reach Carol or Steve. Ruth called 911 to have a welfare check at Carol's house. When police arrived at Carol's home, they were stunned to find her laying in a pool of blood severely beaten. Carol Kennedy was 53, a mother and a devoted daughter and friend. Her friends described her as being an absolute pure person. She was in a good place in life. She was a spiritual person who loved gardening and being an artist. Carol and Steve were together for about 30 years. They had a simple wedding in upstate New York. The couple moved around and ultimately settled in Prescott, Arizona to raise their two daughters. Steve was the dean of Prescott College, and Carol taught psychology there. Later on, Steve had a career change and became a successful financial advisor and a senior vice president at UBS, which is an investment banking company. Carol and Steve were in love until they realized their lives were moving in different directions. Steve had had an affair, and the couple decided to separate after 25 years of marriage. In 2008, after five years of being separated, the pair finally divorced. It was a long and painful road. She was done teaching and became an avid painter. The couple stayed in close contact and mostly cordial for the two girls, but Carol saw this as a fresh start. So, John, before we get going, what are you thinking right now? Kind of where do you think this case is going? What are your thoughts? Well, I would say just based on the type of cases that we've done, my immediate suspicion is going to fall on Steve. And I don't know if that is how this is going to end up going, but I know that that's always who police look at first. If that is the case, it's just kind of sad because I'm thinking about this woman who, you know, was in love with her husband and then he had an affair and they end up getting divorced. And, you know, you've got two kids involved. And a lot of the times it's really easy to fall into negativity and be like, well, you know, I'm of a certain age and now I'm divorced and, you know, I've got two kids and is it worth getting into a relationship like that? But it really sounds like Carol was looking at this like a fresh start. You know, she's following a passion of painting. She quit teaching, things like that. So probably felt like a new leaf was turned over. And then to have her life cut short is just really sad. So I'm really interested to see where this case goes. 
Now, detectives began to quickly search the house and first found Jim Knapp, Carol's tenant whose house was about 50 feet from her main house. Jim was a mid-50s divorced father who was described as an odd duck. Carol told friends that he was easy to get along with and never really caused any trouble. Jim described their relationship as if they were co-coaches and helped each other throughout life's curveballs. He told detectives that he was at his ex-wife's house watching one of his children when Carol was murdered. He also shared that he thought Steve DeMocker was a sneaky, manipulative man. This prompted police to question Steve DeMocker. Now, Steve told police that he was out riding his mountain bike on the trail close to Carol's house. He claimed that he had gotten a flat tire and his cell phone was dead. When asked about the details of the murder, Steve repeatedly stated, I wasn't there. I wouldn't do that. He asked investigators what they were thinking of him and if he was the only suspect. He volunteered his DNA on several occasions. Police continued to question the trail Steve was riding on as it turns out it was only a mile from Carol's home. Detectives noted Steve to have multiple fresh scratches on his arms and his legs. He told detectives they were from riding through a rough mountain trail. Search warrants were issued allowing detectives to search through his home, garage, and office, taking a lot of photos. After talking to many family members, police were able to note that Steve was not available by phone during the time of the murder. This story was consistent with Ruth Kennedy, Carol's mother, and their two daughters. Because of this, no one could confirm Steve's supposed alibi. The crime scene was quickly secured, finding shoe prints and bike tire tracks. What investigators found interesting about the shoe prints is that you can clearly see Carol's tracks on the way out and the perpetrator's tracks crossing over hers towards the house. Evidence from Carol's body showed that she was hit about seven to nine times in the head with an object that appeared similar to a, quote, golf club that ultimately shattered her skull. The crime scene was considered a violent scene with blood splatter clear across the room. The house had appeared tampered with. It seemed as though someone was trying to stage it, making it appear to have been a struggle. There were blood clots found close to the door headed to the outside. Police continued to question the family. Up next was Charlotte, one of Carol and Steve's daughters, and her boyfriend Jake. The couple had been living with Steve at the time of the murder. They told detectives that Steve would usually be home around 9 p.m. for dinner. It was around 9.15 when Charlotte tried to contact her dad, but it went straight to voicemail. At around 10 p.m., they got a call from Steve saying that he had a flat tire while out riding his bike, but he was at the gym finishing a workout. The pair told police that they went to the store to gather things for dinner, and when they arrived back home, Steve was in the shower. He told them that he got a call from Carol's brother, stating that her phone line got disconnected while talking to her mother, Ruth. This worried Charlotte and is what prompted her to drive to her mother's house when she was greeted by sheriffs and told her mother had died. Jake told detectives that Steve was on the phone with them and he needed to get to the house quickly. Police audio recordings captured Charlotte crying, and you can clearly hear Steve saying, quote, The last time I was here? I don't know when the last time I was here. A while ago? Crime scene evidence continued to point towards Steve. Bike tracks were photographed and found to be similar to those belonging to Steve's mountain bike. Shoe tracks were similar to a pair of shoes that he said he had purchased but was unable to find. Given that autopsy results stated that Carol could have been killed by something resembling a golf club, detectives circled back. Pictures of the crime scene showed golf clubs in the corner of the garage. These were seized but did not show evidence suggesting they were used to kill Carol. Detectives did remember seeing a golf club cover on a shelf in the garage. It appeared in initial crime scene photos but was not there when the police returned for the clubs. Investigators took a deep dive into emails, text messages, and divorce papers between Carol and Steve. The two argued heavily about the divorce. 
He agreed to pay $6,000 a month in spousal support. He made about $500,000 a year but was struggling to make ends meet. Granted, this was 2008 when everything crashed. The housing bubble and everything started to fall apart and burst. Yeah. Yeah. This caused Steve to borrow money from his parents. Steve had paid the first $6,000 for June, and coincidentally enough, Carol died on July 2nd. The second payment was never made to Carol. More evidence continued to rack up on Steve DeMocker, and he was arrested three months after Carol was murdered in October of 2008. He was charged with first-degree murder, and prosecutors filed for the death penalty. Thus, Steve was unable to be released on bail. Steve pleaded not guilty, and his defense claimed that prosecutors only looked at Steve and did not further investigate other avenues. They claimed there was no record of physical violence during their marriage and tried to prove a lack of physical evidence against Steve. Detectives did not find DNA at his home, on his bike, or in his car. The defense thought that Jim Knapp should have been a prime suspect. It was a little too late for the defense to bring Knapp to testify as he killed himself shortly after Steve was arrested. Crime lab analysis of documents found inside Carol's home had Knapp's fingerprints on them. Now remember, Knapp had an alibi that said that he was at his ex-wife's house watching his child during the time of Carol's murders. So he checked out pretty good regardless of being alive at this point. Yeah, and they were also friends, so they would be in and out of the home, and especially if they were sharing details about their divorce and stuff like that. And I mean, if his alibi checked out, you know, if that's his ex-wife being like, yeah, he was at my house watching our daughter, you know, it seems like it's on the up and up. Yeah, you feel like that would be an alibi that can check out, whereas this man who is riding a mountain bike in the middle of a nowhere trail has no real verification of where he was or who he was with. Right. You're also riding a mountain bike a mile from her house. There's mountain bike tracks found at the scene. Now you have to pay this woman $6,000 a month and you're struggling financially. Like alibi wise, it definitely points more towards Steve DeMocker. Yeah. And as we're kind of talking about this, there are a lot of videos of his interviews with police. Um, And basically one, he's like, why would I put myself right by her house if I was going to kill her? Like talking to police kind of in a condescending way like that. Well, I think that goes back to something that we've talked about before, and I'm sure we're going to find out if, you know, he's tried and convicted for it. But it's that element that a lot of these killers have where they're like, I'm smarter than everybody in the room. You know what I mean? And that very much, I think, plays into that kind of pattern where it's, I mean, why would I even be, you know, if I was going to kill her, why would I put myself near her house? You know, there's just a lot of sketchy stuff going on. Yeah. And I want to touch back about this stuff a little bit later once we wrap up, because I have stuff to say about that. You got it. A year after Carol's death, the defense team received an anonymous email stating, I can tell you what happened the night Kennedy was killed. Knapp was running his mouth about a drug deal. Steve was asked about the email by his attorneys and claimed that he heard something similar about Knapp while he was in jail. Now, when police asked him about this, Steve got very emotional and claims that he has spent the last year in jail being accused of killing Carol. Now, other DNA analyses were coming back and showed that DNA evidence found under Carol's nails did not belong to Steve nor Jim Knapp, but belonged to the body that was previously reviewed by the medical examiner. Now, the defense really started to have a case against the prosecution. The prosecution would say that he had motive, money. Steve DeMocker was the owner and beneficiary of two life insurance policies on Carol that were worth about $750,000. The prosecution revealed a motive and an array of circumstantial evidence. Steve claimed that he found the golf club cover after detectives had left the house, but he told Jake he didn't know what to do with it. 
Now, this cover was eventually recovered, and it belonged to a left-handed Big Bertha Sevenwood. Now, I don't know much about golf, but I do know as being around people who golf, all my friends are right-handed, and I am left-handed, and no one has left-handed clubs. Yeah, left-handed clubs are pretty rare from what I understand. I mean, not like overly rare, but like... Left-handed people are rare. Yeah. You're odd odd ducks, <laughs> you left-handed people. Now, oddly enough, Steve was a left-handed golfer, and the seven wood had been missing from the clubs. Now, in the middle of the trial, the judge was diagnosed with brain cancer, and the trial was delayed for five weeks, and this judge ultimately died. Just to throw a wrench in this whole story. That's terrible. Now, once the trial resumed, the prosecution went back to the anonymous email sent to the defense team. The prosecution had Steve's then-girlfriend testify in court. She stated that while he was in prison, he asked for his daughter and her to bring a pen and paper to their next visit. She said that Steve held up a piece of paper and told his then 17-year-old daughter to type a version of this and send it anonymously to his defense team. Steve claims that all the life insurance money went to their two daughters, Katie and Charlotte. It would later show that the daughters were sending money to their Democra grandparents, who were ultimately wiring money to pay the defense attorney's legal fees. Now, this caused the defense to back down and the judge to call it a mistrial. The court would now have to start from scratch, and Steve was given a court-appointed attorney. The prosecution found further evidence that showed Steve purchased books on how to evade authorities and how to kill and make it look like a suicide. His girlfriend led detectives to Steve's previously placed getaway bag that was full of clothes, a burner phone, and $15,000 cash, all of this of which was hidden on a golf course, of all places. In 2013, the second jury convicted Stephen DeMocker of first-degree murder and six other charges, including fraud, burglary, and tampering with evidence. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, plus 10 years. DeMocker is now in his 70s and remains incarcerated at the Arizona State Prison Complex. So that's it for this week, John. These stories blow my mind. Like, every time we cover something like this, I'm always like, why do you think you're going to get away with something like You know, like it's so easy to look at this and say, this guy is financially struggling. Now he's got to pay his ex-wife, which is making it harder for him. You know, I'm going to have my daughter send an anonymous email, which I'm surprised that she wasn't brought up on any charges for anything of that nature. You know what I mean? And maybe it's because she was 17 at the time, but I just don't get it. I don't understand why spouses decide to do something like this and just think that they're not going to get caught, you know? Like the cops aren't going to find out that you literally bought books on how to evade the authorities. You know what I mean? And his Google searches, how to make a murder look like a suicide. Like, how do you cover it up? And the other thing I want to touch base on is like they talked about a lot of the daughters sitting in court and supporting their dad and just being in this weird situation where they didn't want to believe that he did it. But also like they didn't really know, you know. And so how would it look as if they weren't, you know, supporting their dad? And then it turns out that their dad not only murdered their mother for life insurance money, but also the life insurance money that they were paid out, they paid to back basically to the dad to pay for his court costs. So like it was a lose-lose situation on the life insurance policy. But then it's like these, you know, these girls were young. They didn't know any better. I mean, I'm sure they did. But at the time when your dad is telling you, hey, I need you to do this and your dad's in prison, like you're going to do whatever your dad tells you to do. Well, nobody wants to believe that your dad could be capable of doing something like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like when you're a kid, even if your parents get divorced, you assume that they're both good people. 
you know? And I think the, the bigger question for me is how long was he able to hide whatever dark thing was inside him, right? Because this isn't something that somebody just decides that they're going to do one day. You're not just like, I don't want to pay my ex-wife this money. So, oh, I got a great idea. Like I'll kill her. I'll hide a go bag on a golf course. Like this isn't something that you're just like one day you wake up and you have this idea. It's a certain kind of person who will do that, you know, and hearing about this case and, you know, the fact that they had a, a seemingly healthy relationship for years and years before the divorce happened. Yeah. I just wonder what else was going on with him well before this happened? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, the couple was cordial. There was reports that said that a few days prior, they all went to the airport to send their other daughter, Katie, off to do a study abroad in South Africa. Like the whole family was at the airport together. This was a couple that was cordial enough in their divorce to like put it beside them, go see their child off for the summer. I mean, in the same in the back of his mind, he probably knew he was going to kill their mother and like she was never going to see her again. But I, the other things that were big, like, proponents of this case is, like, his siblings. One is a doctor. There's one that's interviewed a lot. And she just talks about how they, you know, you can't put physical evidence. There's no physical evidence that is showing that Steve did this. And I think when you're watching his interviews with detectives and he's like, I'll give my DNA. I'll give you whatever saliva. I'll give you my DNA. I'll give you my DNA. It's like he almost knew that they weren't going to find any DNA evidence to put him at the crime scene or make it look, you know, like I said, there was no evidence in his house, on his bike, in his office, but there was all circumstantial evidence. So it was really interesting that the court and the jury were able to indict him and find him guilty um, when there truly wasn't any physical evidence against him. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And I'm not sure, I feel like it was a recent episode, but I remember that we talked about a judge ruling that circumstantial evidence is enough. It was all circumstantial evidence. And a judge had ruled that like, no, circumstantial evidence can be enough if it lines up and you can convince a jury, right? Like if it's mm-hmm. if it has a powerful enough sway to say like, yeah, I could see why this would happen, you know? And yeah. I mean, I don't know, like, like I said, it just makes the most sense. Like sometimes the right answer is the thing that makes the most sense. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, this is a really interesting case. It, like I said, it just blows my mind when people can think that they can get away with something like that. And exactly like you said, right. They go to the airport to send their daughter off and it's like, you know, Hey, like we love you, honey. Like see you when you get back. And in the back of this guy's head, he's like, you're never going to see your mom again. You know? Right. Right. So it's just crazy. This was a really good one. Thank you. It had a lot of details. It was complex. Well, we're complex people and I appreciate the details. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you want to talk deadbolt test? Because I can already tell you where I'm putting this. Well, where are you putting it? You know me. These spousal ones, they get me. This one's going innate. I love my wife. I don't think that this is anything that I would ever have to worry about. But I bet Carol didn't think it was anything that she would ever have to worry about. Right. And I'm secure in my relationship. You know, like, like I said, I'm not worried about my wife doesn't golf. I'm not worried about it. But the idea of somebody that you love being this like undercover monster and you can be in these situations where you're cordial and you think everything's okay. And there's these sinister plans being thought out in the background. Like I mean, that's like chills up my spine. You know what I mean? It's like, these are the kind of cases when I lay in bed next to my wife, I just like you do a little peek over Love you. <laughs> Just <laughs> go sleep, you know. So for me, I'm putting it at an eight. What about you? Yeah, I don't like these either. I'm going to put it right up there with you. I'm going to go with an eight as well. Just something about the person you're in love with or at, were in love with at some point. 
Gail chose to separate on your own accord. Steve had many affairs that I didn't even account for. I mentioned one, but I think somewhere in the research it said he had like 17 at one point. And just like kind of just a scummy type guy. And they cordially separated. She went on her own. She was starting a new path. Next time, just make sure you change your life insurance policy beneficiaries. And, you know, you just never know who you can trust. It just makes it really uneasy and unsettling for me as a single woman to think that I am going to have to try to find someone to spend my life with and they could end up murdering me. Eight. It's an eight. I definitely agree with you. These are always just hard ones to to go through. And, you know, this was a really good story. I'd never heard about it. And this is one of those ones that's going to stick with me a little bit. You know what I mean? Because like I said, when you think everything is fine and even when you divorce, when you have kids and stuff like that, it's like, you know. There's still, in most cases, there's still love, right? Like my parents are divorced. I know your parents are divorced, right? Like Mm -hmm. even though they couldn't make it work together, it's a different kind of love. But I know that my mom still loves my dad in a certain way because he was part of her having four kids and this life that she loves and grandchildren and stuff like without him, that wouldn't have happened. So there, you know, there's still this type of love and it's against that ultimate betrayal. You know what I mean? I just, I I don't know. It's rough. So you, you picked a really good one. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test for this week. Olivia and I are both coming in at dual eights, but we want to know where does the deceitful dad fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, come hang out with us. We want to hear what you think. We want to get to know you, where you're from, where you're listening from. Come in, hang out with us. We're in there on the daily, interacting and hanging out with everybody. So we would absolutely love to have you. Olivia, again. You picked a great case. This one was a hole in one. I need a little bit of a palate cleanser. Do you have a five-star review for us? I'm glad the punniness is back because you did not bring one for me last week. (laughs) But yes, I do have a five-star review. And our reviewers are struggling to give me names, but this one is LFLVMDBFO. And I'm sure that stands for something. But they said, this has become one of my favorite podcasts and I get so excited when a new episode drops. I love how the hosts have actual conversations and it doesn't sound scripted. And thank you for adding the short on time episodes. I share this as much as I can. Please keep up the great work. So thank you, LFLVMDBFO, for leaving us a five-star review. That is a mouthful. Yes. Thank you so much, a bunch of letters, for leaving us that five-star <laughs> review. We really do appreciate it. And again, you know, you just taking the time to leave us that review. Our days are busy, right? There's a million things that we have to do. So the fact that you took, you know, the three, five, what, however long it took you just to go and write some kind words, it really means a lot. So please reach out to us again, Instagram, check the locks pod. You can find us on Twitter, check the locks. And if you're in our Facebook group, you can reach out there. We would love to send you some stickers, buttons. We got all sorts of stuff. And if you're not a social person, that's totally fine. Head over to checklockspod.com. You can click the email button, send us an email, let us know where to send it. We would love to get that out to you. Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review read right on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Well, they need to go over to the Apple pod podcast app go to our home show page scroll all the way to the bottom where you see all five stars click all five stars and leave us a little review tell us what you like 
Absolutely. That is 100% correct. And I, again, I know I talk about this every week, but these reviews, they help us in ways that we cannot even put into words, right? They're going to get us into other shows' recommendations. It helps new listeners and new members of our community to, to find the show and just helps us to grow. And really, you know, that is what our intention is with doing the show is just to grow the community and, and get in front of as many listeners as we can. So if you have left us a review, thank you so much. It means the world to us. And if not, again, just like Olivia said, head over to Apple Podcasts. You can leave that review. And if you need a cheat code, go into the show description. There's a link you can click. It'll take you right there. It takes just a minute or two. Leave us that review. We would love to hear what you think. And if you are interested in financially supporting Check the Locks and helping us keep the lights on, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks and you can sign up today. We've got a bunch of different tiers, a bunch of different benefits. We got stickers, we got mugs, we got t-shirts, all sorts of stuff just for being a patron. So if you like what we do, you want to help keep the lights on here, that is the best way to do that. And if you can't financially support the show, we definitely understand. That makes sense. We totally get it. Just listening, hanging out with us every week means just as much, if not more. And please share this show with your friends. If you like it, text a link to a friend, family member, let them know that you're digging it. Again, it's all about helping us grow and getting in front of as many listeners as we can. We just want to see this community continue to blossom and and grow in any way that it can. So that is all that we have for you for this week's episode. And remember, make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We will see you next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. We'll see you next week. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Leaving that in. <laughs>